Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome to the pat williams power hour on the new 94.9 fm and am 950 wtln this is your hour when orlando magic senior vice president pat williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you and now here's your host Pat Williams. Welcome, folks, once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, we do this show every weekend at this time on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Always delighted when you join us. Uh, once again, Alan Dempsey does the engineering, does it well. And Andrew Herdliska produces our show each weekend. And in this first half hour, Andrew has produced Billy Hallowell. Uh, who is with us from uh, outside of New York City. He's the faith editor and assistant editor at The Blaze, and we're going to be talking about his new book, The Armageddon Code. Uh, Billy, great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me. Hey, how you doing? Uh, what does that title mean? <laughs> well, you know, I think this is... Yeah, the title to this book is interesting because I think for forever we've had people wanting to solve the end times riddle, to understand everything that's in the Bible. And so many Christians, I think, um, do feel like they have a firm grip on that, or they at least have um, certain ideas that they believe about what will happen as the end times ramps up. And so, yeah, th- this sort of this title sort of speaks to that. Now, um, what the book does is, is sort of guide you through the entire debate, you know, from a journalist perspective, me interviewing experts, people who have very solid views on all of these things, um, and it's so complicated, but presenting those views in sort of a documentary-style manner that allows you to, to say, okay, and after you read the book, you can say, okay, now I have a good idea of what people believe across the board. And the focus, again, is mostly Protestants here in the Protestant world, what many people, evangelicals and others, believe, and how those beliefs are so different. So, uh, um, it's you know not necessarily a prescription. It doesn't tell you what to believe, but it gives you a chance to have the opportunity to see all those beliefs laid out. Who did you interview? So, you know, one of the things that was most interesting to me is I wanted to go to some of the names, the people that a lot of evangelicals and others might know well, people like Tim LaHaye, um, who actually recently passed away. Um, he wrote the Left Behind series. Uh, so I spoke with him. I spoke with Joel Rosenberg. Um, and now, those are two names that a lot of Christians know well. Hank Hangraff, the Bible Answer Man, Greg Laurie, uh, because I wanted to get the perspective of a pastor. But then, you know, as you get into some of the other ideas, you end up talking with some other people. Um, you know, Douglas Wilson is well-known, but maybe not as well-known um, as, as Tim LaHaye when it comes to end-time studies. And so there were about 19 or 20 experts who I spoke with across the board um, on, on these topics. It was incredibly fascinating. Uh, Billy, your first chapter <clears throat> is called Why There's So Much Debate Over the End Times. So that's where we're going to start. Yeah, and I think you know the, the thing that I found most compelling about this, and you know, again, we have so much disagreement, so much debate, and we could talk about this after. But one of the things that I wanted to do was to really go out and ask pastors, the people who are teaching in churches, what they believe, and and so we did some original research for this book um, through scientific polling to try to understand what's being taught because there's so much debate and disagreement uh, because even a topic like the rapture, you know, the, the event that many Christians believe in, um, in which Christians will be brought up to spend some time with Jesus before the end times uh, really ramp up. Um, all of those things are so debated. And I think the answer to why even that is a debate, because some people don't like one of the explanations, which I actually found to be the most compelling. And I think 
That explanation is that much of the end times in the Bible, and I know even my pastor, many pastors will, might disagree with the statement, but many of those verses are complicated and aren't necessarily laid out in a way where you could walk away and say, oh, I understand exactly what that's saying and exactly what's going to happen. Um, and so because of that vagueness and because we're dealing with prophecy, um, it, it opens the door to quite a bit of debate on all of these subjects. And I would say, um, and we could talk more about this too, but I would say that much of what we see in other elements of prophecy about Jesus um, in the Bible before Jesus came in the Old Testament are much the same way, where it's, it's a little complicated until after the fact. So, you know, we're, we're living before, for Christians, 99% of Christians believe um, that we are, you know, living before all of these events will, will unfold, and, and because of that, there's confusion and there's going to be debate. Now, let's get to this topic, Billy, the rapture and whether it's biblical. Yeah, and this, I think by far, this is the most heated debate when it comes to the end times, at least among the most heated debates. But even interviewing people for this book, it became very evident that people are extremely passionate about the rapture um, and that they're willing to go to bat over it. And and they're angry. I mean, there were some people who were legitimately angry over people's you know interpretations of a rapture. Uh, now, Let's just, I guess the, the first thing we could say is that the rapture itself, the big debate is over when this actually would happen. And this is the event in which Christians are taken up again, you know, to be with Jesus. And, and many people, many people who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, they believe that Christians will be raptured up you know, before things get really bad, before this tribulation period, which we can also talk about on earth, and that everyone else will be left behind, um, hence the, the name Left Behind of the book series and the film series. And, yeah, the, but again, people getting so worked up about this, some believing that really there is no rapture seen in the Bible, um, others believing, and I think this is sort of fascinating, that there is a rapture, but it might not happen until halfway through the tribulation period. Um, others believing that it will happen after the tribulation period, um, and that Christians will be here during that. And so um, it's just a, a really, really fascinating um, debate. And I would say, too, there's a chunk of pastors and Christians who just aren't really sure where they stand on it. Um, but <laughs> the thing that makes me laugh the most is that for all the anger and frustration, it really is an issue that most people agree, most pastors and theologians agree, isn't a salvation issue. So you could be a Christian um, and, and obviously not really know where you stand on it, and when it comes to salvation, it doesn't really matter yet. People get so worked up about it. Now, Billy, let's go to this topic. Digging deeper, pre-tribulation rapture theory. Yeah, and this is where, in this chapter, really going deep, you know, on the pre-tribulation belief, because that has been, at least in the last, you know, few decades, it seems, that has been the primary belief system um, of a many, many evangelicals in this in this country. And so that chapter, you know, I talk with people like March Hitchcock, Ed Hinton, Jeff Kinley, Joel Rosenberg, about why they believe it, because many people believe that the rapture, and this is actually a quote from the book, um, from Mark Hitchcock, he said, quote, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. Um, and he described that as the catching away of believers in Jesus Christ. So, you know, with that, with that being said, if, we, if people believe that's the next event, that clearly has a big impact on how they see things unfolding um, in the world and, and obviously in theology. So that chapter takes people through exactly why they believe that and where they go um, in the Bible. Bible and and what verses they believe um, are telling people that 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 will be happening and so that's exactly what I wanted to accomplish there and I think we really were able to talk with a lot of great people who were able to explain that uh, other ideas about the rapture that's the next topic uh, what can you add there Billy yeah well this is where I think the big takeaway in this chapter is that um, most people believe a rapture will happen again, and, and you know, I just want to reiterate that they believe it will happen, but, but some believe, and I think this is fascinating, that in this post-tribulation rapture idea that 
you know, Christians will go through the tribulation, but at the end times, you know, when Jesus returns, it will all be one event. So Jesus returns, Christians rise up to meet him, and then they return with him, if that makes sense. So the second coming and the rapture then become one event. And, you know, so I found that really interesting. And so this chapter focuses in on all of the other ideas surrounding the rapture. And, you know, we we can't assume, I think there's assumptions sometimes, oh, well, all pastors, most pastors believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That is not true. Um, And it is the biggest group of pastors who believe that, and we can talk through that a little bit, but um, it isn't even half, which is sort of fascinating based on the polling that we did. Uh, so there are a lot of other de- ideas out there, and this chapter you know, takes us through those ideas. Billy Hallowell is our guest uh, from the uh, suburbs of New York City. Uh, the book is called The Armageddon Code. Uh, we've got another segment with Billy, so stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on the new 94.9 FM. And AM 950 WTLN, based, of course, in Orlando, Florida. We'll be back right after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Before you invest, read the prospectus in the registration statement and other documents the issuer has filed with the SEC for more complete information about the issuer and this offering. This is a special public announcement for investors. Have you tried to invest during an initial public offering but never got the chance because big banks and private institutions have already scooped up all the stock? Well, now there's an exciting investment opportunity where you can be in on the IPO of a game-changing digital media company listed on NASDAQ. FOTV. FOTV is a group of millennial-focused digital media companies that creates, markets, and distributes live hologram events and premium Hollywood movie content to global audiences via live streaming, virtual reality, and 360. Powered by Holograms USA cutting-edge visual technology. Featured on the Country Music Awards, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and the Coachella Music Festival. Discover a real IPO investment opportunity. Invest as little or as much as you want. Call now for your free FOTV prospectus. 800-409-2501. 409-2501. That's 800-409-2501. Hello, I'm Pastor Glenn Riggs, inviting you to be our guest in celebrating all that the Lord has done and experience our pioneer spirit. We're excited to share Starlight Baptist new building with you. It's been several years in the making. We now can share God's Word with so many more souls in Central Florida through our many ministries here at Starlight. Please visit us at starlightbaptist.com. And don't miss the broadcast ministry of Starlight Baptist. What does the Bible say? Every weekday afternoon at 4 with Pastor Riggs. Right here at the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Who are some of the heroes in your life? For me, it is those people who give of themselves without any thought about what they get in return. Hello, I'm Alan Treba, owner of American Family Funerals and Cremations and The Servant. We want to thank our military veterans for their service and commitment in defending our freedoms and our way of life. We offer special packages and guidance to our military veterans and their families during times of loss. It is the least we can do for someone who has done so much for us. You know us. We are family. AmericanFamilyFunerals.com You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Billy Hallowell is with us from uh, the suburbs of New York. His book is out. It's called The Armageddon Code. Uh, Billy, Chapter 5 is simply called The Tribulation. Uh, Fill us in, please. This is another area that is really filled with quite a bit of debate, but basically the the tribulation for many Christians is this period of time, this seven-year period of time, and it gets a little complex of how that's cobbled together and and put together, but basically after the rapture, many Christians believe there'll be the seven years, and even those who don't believe that the rapture will precede it, many of them still believe that this tribulation period will unfold, and it, it gets very interesting because not everybody embraces this notion of a future tribulation period. Many people look back, um, and they go back to 70 A.D. in the Roman assault on Jerusalem, and they believe that that is what was going on there um, in the text, that that is what was being um, discussed. And and so it's fascinating. It's a very interesting debate. But um, this notion of a future tribulation period um, is, is in the Bible, according to many, and we have a chance to sort of dive into that in the book and also look at the different views that people have and, and again, why... 
um, they may have those views. Again, these these are very difficult topics because it's not clear. It's not as though the Bible is saying this will happen in the year twenty, you know, forty um, or beyond. It is it is vague and it involves looking at the Old and the New Testament to put some of this together. Billy, let's uh, talk about the next topic. It's simply the Antichrist. Yes, and this is, I found this one to be among the most interesting, because so many Christians, um, you know, my upbringing in church has been this notion of, and this ties in with the tribulation period, of course, this figure who will rise up, and in Revelation we're told about the, the two beasts, the beast of the sea, the beast of the land, um, and it's fascinating to me, um, because while many people believe there will be a singular Antichrist who's a person um, in the future, not everybody embraces that. Some believe that it will be an institution. Others believe that um, the Antichrist, that there have been many Antichrists throughout history, um, and that there may be a final one, but that anything that opposes Christ, as we're told in the New Testament, um, is Antichrist. And I think Part of the issue here is that you have the word Antichrist only being used in in 1st and 2nd John. You're not seeing that word um, other places in the Bible. And so words like the beast, you know, in Revelation and all that, again, it gets put together in a narrative, um, as prophecy often does. And and so people try to make sense of that. And again, we're not given mounds and mounds of information about who this person is or this institution is. And so the chapter sort of takes you through what different people believe on that. Um, others believe that there was an Antichrist, but that the Antichrist being described came again quite a long time ago. Um, and so there's, there's a deep history there that's really interesting to um, dissect. Now, I think when we can, we can get into some of the polling numbers after, um, there's a bigger belief that a future Antichrist individual will rise up than there is in a pre-tribulation rapture, which I think is sort of fascinating. Now I want you to talk to us about the debate over the nature of the beasts. Yeah, and this is something that I have always found really, really um, intriguing. And I think that is, this sort of builds on on the previous chapter. um, And when we talk about the beast, what's actually going on there, right? And so, again, lots of people throughout the last 2,000 years have had many um, different ideas about this. And I think what we see happening is some of the themes in Revelation 13 um, and John's writing are tied back to Daniel 7 and Daniel 9. And so you've got, again, this Old Testament, New Testament dynamic going on that helps to put all of this um, together. And one of the elements with the Antichrist that I found really intriguing is that in Daniel's prophecy, um, many people on all sides, in fact, even Tim LaHaye had talked about this with me, and he's a pre-tribulation, you know, rapture, premillennial guy, um, that Daniel's prophecy was talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, um, who uh, was a very brutal uh, world leader at the time, um, long, long time ago, um, who Daniel was predicting, and that as you move through the Bible, there are different types of Antichrist, but that the that makes sense. So, um, and that individual will have some of the same similarities to the qualities described by Daniel um, in the Old Testament. So, I, I found it incredibly fascinating um, because one of the broader narratives that came out in many of these interviews was that prophecy might be something that repeats itself over time, if that makes sense. So you have Antiochus, and then you're going to have this later Antichrist individual who will come and and sort of shock the world. And I think that's a int- really intriguing way to look at, at prophecy, that we could maybe see it repeating itself throughout history in certain ways until the final end. Billy, talk to us about the great millennial debate. Yeah, this is another, you know, another really intriguing area of, of study in this book. And, you know, we talk about um, looking at, you know, chapter 19, chapter 20 in, in Revelation. We don't have a lot of information about this period of time, but there's this idea of a millennium, this thousand-year period where Jesus rules um, on rules on earth, you know, and it's described there in Revelation, but not everybody believes that it's a literal reign. Uh, the you know the premillennialists they believe in their sort of in the breakdown of these events that Jesus will return for the second coming, 
um, and will reign on Earth for a thousand years. Others believe that we're in the midst of that ruling right now, that Christ is ruling from heaven, and that in between the first and the second coming of Christ, that is the millennium. And so... It obviously matters when you talk about the end times, how you're looking at that, because if you do believe that Jesus is returning and there will be this thousand-year period of time on earth, there are a lot of questions surrounding that, just as there are questions surrounding uh, that millennium period happening right now, right? It, It affects how those events will work in the end times paradigm. So that chapter really takes readers through that entire dynamic and explains why certain people hold very different views um, on on that. And we, I even get into the dating issue a little bit, too. And, you know, when, when was Revelation written? Because some of those events that were going on um, at the time, there, there's an impact on that and in, in the interpretation of some of the text. So, um, and we, we have some polling numbers on on, on that as well, on beliefs on the millennium among pastors. Billy Hallowell is with us. <clears throat> the next topic, Billy, understanding scripture and eschatology. This is this kind of goes back to that that notion that I was you know speaking about before. You know how we process scripture, how we understand it. I think one thing that I know for me has been a challenge, has been trying to understand the context of Scripture when it was written. I think a lot of us just read the Bible, and there's, and obviously we can read the Bible and take so much away from it, but understanding what was going on at the time, what was being written, how language was used, I mean, this is where some of the debate comes, but I also think it's incredibly important that we understand how to analyze Scripture and look at it um, in, in a way that goes a bit deeper. And so this chapter talks about how we understand Scripture, how we understand prophecy. Um, and, you know, I think even the way we look at the Bible and, and how, whether we look at it in dispensational in a dispensationalist worldview um, or lens, or whether we take other means of doing so, it impacts how we see it playing out and how we see future events potentially playing out. So that chapter really is intended to help guide people through that process. Understanding Revelation. That's uh, the next one. <laughs> I love this chapter because this is what people have been trying to do, you know, for 2,000 years, right, is understand what's going on um, in that book. And so this chapter guides you through the different worldviews that people have, the different ways, the different lenses through which Revelation is viewed, Um, you know, the futurist lens, looking at it as already being fulfilled. I mean, there are many people who look at Revelation as being mostly fulfilled outside of the last couple chapters, which is a really intriguing way to look at it, because I've always grown up in churches that have looked at Revelation as mostly unfulfilled outside of the first couple of chapters, right? So chapter four beyond uh, being unfulfilled, but there are those who have uh, an inverse way of of looking at that. And so this chapter explains that, um, why certain Christians would walk away with those different views on Revelation. And look, again, the mystery here, and there's a lot of complicated language, there's a lot going on there um, in Revelation, but the mystery is to try to figure out as much as you can, and not to worry. I think we could easily become obsessed with end times theology, and I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to trust, uh, but we also have to realize that a lot of Christians all enter with the same trust and, and, and all enter with good intentions, but may walk away with those different answers. So this chapter speaks to some of that. Uh, talk about Israel's role in the end times, Billy. This, for me, was the most compelling part of writing the book. Obviously, I've I grew up in an evangelical home, and I have been fascinated by the debates that have gone on over Israel. And I think I would summarize my views. This is the one thing I took a little bit of a stand on in the book. I just find it strange that we would have, you know, Ezekiel 36 to 39, and we can go back and read those Old Testament scriptures that were written, what, 3,500 years ago um, by a prophet des- describing this re-emergence of Israel, people coming together from all over the world that would happen in the future, um, and they come together back to Israel, and then you have this um, invasion, you know, Gog of Magog, and we don't know who Magog, and we don't know who Gog is, we don't know who Magog is. Um, but we, there are ideas and there are proposals that it's Russia. Um, but we do know there's a coalition of countries, and one of them is Persia. In fact, the first country listed um, as an invading force partnering up with Gog of Magog is Persia, which is modern-day Iran. So I guess if you're an objective observer and you're looking at all of this, and this is just my view, um, 
you would at the least, even if you're an atheist, have to say it's a little strange that something was written 3,500 years ago um, about a reemergence, and we've seen 1948 happen now and Israel come back on the scene. Um, and then it's a little strange that Israel's biggest enemy, Iran, is listed as the first country in this prospective future invasion of Israel. So all of that to say, um, I think that there is a debate over the role of Israel, whether Israel today is prophetic um, in nature, uh, or whether God is using Israel in some way. Um, some people split hairs over how they explain this, but using Israel in some way to bring about his plan. Uh, but then there are those who just see Israel as a political sort of event that came about um, for no apparent reason, and that it's just a political uh, institution. That I have a hard time personally believing only because I think it's super strange to look back at what was written and what's happening in the world now and to assume it's all by chance. But I dive into that debate fairly and present all sides of it in the book. What about Syria's current unraveling and its tie to biblical prophecy? Yeah, and this is one that people also get a little upset about because there's there's quite a bit in the Old Testament um, talking about a, a, a destruction of Damascus, right? We have these verses that tell us that uh, Damascus will be uninhabitable at some point. And so many people believe that that has not yet happened, um, whereas others think that it already came to fruition. But what we have happening with the Islamic State, what we have happening with the chaos and the civil war in Syria, has had a lot of people questioning whether we're about to see some of these things unfold. And um, so you know, that chapter sort of takes people through that, um, you know, takes people through that dynamic. And just to clarify, I meant to say that, that um, Ezekiel was written 2,500 years ago. I think I said 3,500. But um, so there's, there's that, there's the Ezekiel and Israel stuff, which we discussed, and then there's the Syria elements, which I think are compelling and intriguing, and we, obviously Damascus is, is still there and still standing. Um, some historians, and I have them quoted in the book, would say, well, look, Damascus has been attacked many times before, and, you know, with those attacks, um, you know, the city has been, you know, pillaged, and maybe that's already happened, um, whereas others would say, no, it's never been fully destroyed, and we may see that come to pass. Uh, give me 30 seconds in closing. Jesus' second coming in light of his first. Yeah, I think this is, when we want to look at prophecy, we've got sort of two big areas. We have Jesus, the Old Testament, telling us the Messiah is going to come and describing it. And then we have end times, you know, prophecy that we can look at. I think we probably could learn a lot by looking at the prophecies surrounding Jesus. Many of them, again, were very vague. People, obviously, Jesus came and he died for humanity's sins, and some people still didn't believe he was the Messiah. So that vagueness, it's much easier now to look back and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Jesus fulfilled all of those things because it's already come to pass, I think the end times might be like that, where we have the ability to look back later on and say, oh, now that all makes sense. Didn't make sense before, but now I get it. Billy Hallowell has been our guest. We've got more after this, right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94.9 FM. 4.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Are your car bills just getting higher and higher each time you take it in for service? Is every time you take your auto in for service dreaded because you feel they're selling you repairs and maintenance you just don't need? Well, upselling is the way most companies work today, to drain your pocketbook and pad their profits. So what should you do? For 41 years, the crew at Blue Book Cars Service Center have worked hard to earn your repeat business and help their customers be good stewards of their money. It's their responsibility to be honest and repair your vehicles at the best price. 
choice. Their low, low service labor rate has been the same for over eight years. Their qualified staff and service techs repair vehicles, not just to replace costly parts, unless necessary. And they don't upsell anything. Come visit Blue Book Service Center. Call 407-321-0741 for an appointment. Mention WTLN and ask about the Blue Book Service Center welcome free loaner vehicle while your vehicle is in for service. Call 407-321-0741. Find out more online at bluebookcars.com. Do you need a new roof but don't know who to call? Here's Eric Holm, the owner of Golden Corral and his experience with Total Roof Services. Total Roof Services takes care of all my Golden Corral restaurants and my homes. They are the most professional roofers I've ever used. Hi, I'm Eric Jackson, owner of Total Roof Services. We've made it our mission to serve our community. You're going to love your roof. I guarantee it. Visit us at TotalRoofServices.com. State license CCC 1330329. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Billy Hallowell, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his book, The Armageddon Code. Uh, We go from uh, the New York City area to the Seattle area. Uh, Cynthia Ulrich Tobias is with us. Uh, Her new book is out, A Woman of Strength and Purpose. Cynthia, hope you're doing well. Uh, great to talk to you. Oh, thanks, Pat. Nice to be here. Uh, so th- I need some background on this book and why it was important for you to write it. Well, strong-willed, I, one of my specialties, was, in addition to learning styles, is the strong-willed child. And, of course, I've been doing that for many, many years. It's been a great selling book. But a lot of moms and a lot of women came up and said, how about you don't outgrow it? Um, and there are a lot of us that are strong-willed women out there. And one of the, and I really feel like, even though this feels like kind of over the top, I feel really called and commissioned to write this book to strong-willed women, but not just any strong-willed women. These are strong-willed women whose hearts belong to God. And we, we don't always feel like we fit where we need to be in the church or in Christian circles because we're thinking, hmm, maybe I'm too pushy. Maybe I'm too intense. I've been accused of being a little bit bossy. Uh, does God have a place for me, who is a strong-willed woman? In the workplace, I can be quite successful, but is there a place for me also uh, in, in in the work of, of the kingdom of God? And that's essentially who I'm writing to, are these women who God loves their strong will, and he wants to use it. All we have to do is give it to him, wait, wait for him to consecrate it and give it back, and then we are world changers. Chapter 1 opens with a question. Who says I'm a strong-willed woman? <laughs> uh, what, are you, what are you writing there? Well, here we try to just kind of define it. I've, I'm working off surveys of several hundred strong-willed women across the country and uh, a few around the world, and all of us trying to uh, identify what do we mean by a strong-willed woman. We mean not the negative part. You know, it's easy to go sideways. Everyone knows there's sort of a dark side to strong will too. But but the strong will, and it's at its best, is is a person who is undeterred, unconquerable, um, undaunted by, you know, and I kind of make the analogy in the first chapter of, if we are God's army, the strong-willed women are the special ops. Um, when the when the commander in chief has an impossible mission and nobody else wants to do it, we're the ones that go, I'll do it. And he says, well, you could die, and we say, well, but I might not. And so we're the ones that are bolder and and more persistent, and we are very hard to defeat. Let's move to the second topic, Cynthia. We're all different, yet so alike. Uh, what's that mean? Well, every one of us, of course, as strong-willed women, we're as diverse as we can be. Many different personality combinations, temperaments, learning styles, All we are very different. What we share is the same bond of having that strong will, those convictions of steel, that fierce loyalty. And so even though we have a lot of variety, you know, one of my good friends, we talked about, what do we have in common? And we said, well, you know, all strong-willed women, we like to take action. And she said, yeah, that's right, action. So I said, okay, well, let's go and let's get going. And she went, no, 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 we need to sit down and plan, make a plan. And I'm thinking, make a plan, that's not action. And so, I mean, we have these opposite ideas of how to accomplish something because of who we are, but we, we share in the goal of, of accomplishing. Cynthia Ulrich Tobias is with us now. 
Uh, I want you to talk about living all out for God. Well, it's interesting because so many uh, strong-willed women that I've encountered over the past 30 years, they say, do you think do you think a strong-willed woman can even be a Christian? I mean, isn't that kind of tough? Or, or the stereotype is kind of, isn't, aren't you supposed to be a quiet, sort of um, shy and submissive, meek woman in order to be a virtuous woman? And, of course, the Bible doesn't say that at all. But and it and it's quite possible. It's just it, one of the things that sometimes turns a strong-willed woman uh, a little bit away from the whole idea of being all out for God is, wow, you know, words like obedience and submission and and that sort of thing. And we really kind of tackle in the chapter. This is some of the most exciting and exhilarating challenge for the strong-willed woman ever, because obedience doesn't mean meekly bowing your head and just doing what you're told by an authority. It's when it's obedience from God, he's got some incredible missions for you to accomplish. He's being able to listen to him and actually answer prayers um, that he has in mind for you for others can be some of the most exhilarating and adventurous parts of your life ever. And and of course, what God can do with a strong-willed woman, man, the world needs to see more of that. What's wrong with being self-sufficient? What's the answer there? Well, it, it seems kind of self-contradictory, thinking, aren't you supposed to be reliant, self-reliant and, you know, take responsibility for yourself? And, of course, that's true, but, but the message here is there is a, there will always be a time when you're going to run into a wall, you're going to run into an obstacle where your strong will is not enough. And it's designed that way because the creator and designer of us says, you can't do it alone. Uh, you need me. Uh, and one of the things, I, you know, I talk about in there is God doesn't have a suggestion box. I wish he did, because I'm never at a loss to give him a few ideas for how to accomplish things. But the fact is, it's it's not me taking Jesus with me wherever I go. It's Jesus saying, follow me. And that, as a strong-willed woman, is a lot harder. But I have to come to the point where I realize I need to be aware that I'm not superwoman. I'm not trying to accomplish my own purposes and goals. I'm living for someone greater and something higher, and so I need to understand that my strength is absolutely reliant in so many ways on the creator and designer of it. Cynthia Ulrich Tobias is with us. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. (laughs) And what what does that mean? Well, every strong woman, when she hears that phrase, we all grin and go, uh, yeah, I know what that means. Well, you know, we, we can we have the power to manipulate, to build up, to cut down. We can do it in a matter of seconds. We there's no loophole that we can't find. Um, we're able to get around just about anything. But but the but the bottom line is, if it is our goal and our heart belongs to God, then it is our goal to have integrity and honesty, and we. We resist. It takes much more strong will to back off of something you know you could do but shouldn't than it does to just run right over people and get the job done. So our goal is is to succeed with with integrity and honesty and not by cheating, not by deception, not by using strength where we know we could accomplish a goal, but it wouldn't necessarily be the right way. This is always a challenge that we that we that we live with. Now, Cynthia, let's get to this topic, directing our passion and defining our purpose. Well, again, we go back kind of to the special ops idea, the idea that sometimes uh, as a strong, with a strong-willed woman, wherever you are, whether you're a homeschool mom and you're organizing things or you're a military mom or wherever you're called to be, you're going to be able to use your strong will in some pretty incredible ways if you're just aware of it and if you're willing. Oswald Chambers talks about um, how we're we're all we can all be answers to prayer, maybe to prayers that were prayed hundreds of years ago. Um, what if it's your job, wherever you are, um, to, to to step out, to listen, to to follow, and use your strength of will to do something that you have this undeniable feeling. This is what I'm supposed to do. And and again. Maybe we're hesitant sometimes because we think it won't be accepted or because we think we'll be misunderstood. But there are some amazing possibilities for strong-willed women in every single walk of life. Now we move to a, a really, really important topic, Cynthia, leadership. And you, you call it leadership with integrity. Uh, I, want, I want you to discuss that in depth. 
Well, you know, in, le- in leadership, it, it's not, you know, it, it's important to not have a chip on your shoulder. I'm not talking about, you know, coming in with a secular feminism sort of point of view and saying, you know, demanding my place because I'm a woman. Um, all, all of that, it's, if you are a great leader, you have a servant heart. And as a, as a woman, and I, I was a police officer for several years, many years ago, and I was the only woman for quite a while, and I didn't do it because I wanted to prove a woman could do it. I wanted to make sure if I was the best man for the job, I wanted to have it. And I worked side by side, shoulder to shoulder with men, with a great deal of respect. And the equality didn't come from demanding it, but demonstrating that I was able to do the job. And and here here again, we, we're not trying to say, I am woman, hear me roar, and I'm trying to defeat. No. If you're really a leader, then what you're looking for with genuine equality, of course, is the ability to work side by side with with the strengths and complementary strengths, regardless of gender and regardless of a lot of other pieces of the puzzle. And And this is always, you know, I mean, I know this is always kind of a somewhat controversial and a little bit touchy subject, but but the true strong-willed woman of God knows that she is not better or worse, but that she has these complementary strengths that that can make the world a better place, just like the men she works with, the um, wherever she works across geographical boundaries. Leadership still has that in common, that we have a servant heart and that we're working toward the same goal. How about strong-willed women and the men who love them? <laughs> I like to tell men, if, if you were chosen by a strong-willed woman... Uh, you're somebody special because we're we're drawn to all kinds of different personalities and temperaments. Again, there's no one stereotype of a man that tends to be drawn to a strong-willed woman or a strong-willed woman thrives with. But one thing is sure: when when you're married to a strong-willed woman, um, there's a little extra conflict. There's and it's not because we cause it necessarily. It's just that sort of in our nature. There's kind of this iron sharpens iron, and every man recognizes that if, if you have a good life with a strong-willed wife, it's it's a great, great blessing. But what we just talk about in there about, you know, there's not anybody that's the big boss. In other words, nobody gets to be in charge of everything. It, when you have complementary strengths and you have mutual respect, then you also have the man as the spiritual leader in your marriage because you're keeping Christ at the center of it. But there are so many blessings along the way to figure out the give and take of of another person who's strong and who has mutual respect and it makes a pretty interesting makes for a pretty interesting marriage and relationship moms and kids who share strong will <laughs> well you know the chances are good i know for me my mother prayed i would get a strong-willed child just so that i would know what it was like did it happen um, it did happen <laughs> And it was great. It was a wonderful adventure. And one of the things that makes it best, because there's this, there's a, you know, you can go toe-to-toe with a strong-willed kid and neither one of you wants to back off. But sometimes it helps to remember you are parenting a younger version of you, whether you're a strong-willed mom or a strong-willed dad. This is a younger version of you. So if you can think from the perspective of how did I want to be treated as a kid? What what was it that set me off? What was it that, that actually brought me in and helped me to cooperate. You know, did ultimatums work? No. Did the tone of voice that my parent used for me work? Uh, did it matter? Yes, it mattered a lot. And so uh, despite, and we got a lot of good tips and good ideas from women, strong-willed moms across the country, that we're all struggling with some of the same issues. But just the perspective of remembering, hey, it takes one to know one, and sometimes your best perspective comes from thinking about how you wanted to be dealt with when you were younger. Cynthia Ulrich Tobias is our guest. Cynthia, before the break here, uh, you've got to talk a little bit more about you, the police lady. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm intrigued with that. How did it come about? I mean, is, was that a lifetime goal? No, you know, I was teaching high school at the time, and I was working summers. Yes. Uh, and I took a ride along with a police officer friend of mine, and it was it was like somebody sort of injected it in my bloodstream. I thought, wow, I just have to be a cop for a while. And there were no women. This was back in the 80s in, in that particular department, and they told me, quite frankly, at the beginning they didn't want any. But I was able to uh, – I was a fully commissioned reserve police officer. I didn't want to give up my full-time job yet, so I worked full-time um, in the summers, but part-time evenings and weekends during the school year. And I, I had the most incredible experiences that have that have held me in 
absolute good good stead and good standing the rest of my life, being able to work with law enforcement, first responders. And I got I got a unique view of life and I learned a lot of important lessons as a strong willed woman in my, you know, mid twenties. Um, I learned how to temper things. I learned how to corral my strong will in a way that worked better than and I think I got a lot of lessons from the very beginning that have really held me in good stead. What city was that? It was the city of Des Moines, Washington, which is just uh, just a little bit south of Seattle, down by the water. And it was a, a relatively medium-sized city, so I got to do just about everything. I tell people they let me do everything except the prostitution detail, and they didn't think I could be convincing, which I think, looking back, was a pretty good compliment. Cynthia Ulrich Tobias is with us. The book, A Woman of Strength and Purpose... More with Cynthia right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLA. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Hey there, travelers. You going somewhere? Need a hotel? Then call Hotel Wiz anytime, day or night for rates too low to publish. You can save up to 75% on over 500,000 hotels across the globe and get our best price guarantee with no booking or cancellation fees ever. We've got some of the lowest hotel prices you'll find in New York, Chicago, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and a lot more. Don't waste your time surfing for deals. Make a free call right now and find deals too low to publish. Save up to 75% right now with no cancellation fees. And to make it even easier on you, we're here 24-7 to help. So call right now. Book Marcus in your cell phone. Whatever you need to do, just pick up the phone and call this number for hotel deals that'll knock your socks off. 800-590-1163. Hello, I'm Pastor Glenn Riggs, inviting you to be our guest in celebrating all that the Lord has done and experience our pioneer spirit. We're excited to share Starlight Baptist new building with you. It's been several years in the making. We now can share God's Word with so many more souls in Central Florida through our many ministries here at Starlight. Please visit us at starlightbaptist.com. And don't miss the broadcast ministry of Starlight Baptist. What does the Bible say? Every weekday afternoon at 4 with Pastor Riggs, right here at the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM. And AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Cynthia Ulrich Tobias is our guest. We're talking about her book, A Woman of Strength and Purpose. Uh, Here's the next topic, Cynthia. Mentoring the next generation. You know, I feel really strongly about this one, and that and, and the, the fact that I remember as a younger, strong-willed woman, even as a teenager, but especially even through my college years, that sometimes I would be defensive, not knowing that my strong will was okay and that God had a plan for it. I would spend a lot of my energy being very defensive of it. And working with teenagers myself and working with younger women, I, I find that to be true over and over. When you, but then when you come to realize, wait a minute, I, could, I can harness this, I can keep this strong will, but I can use it for good and use it to accomplish great things and not bad things, then all of a sudden I don't, I'm not so defensive of it and I have a lot more energy left over to accommodate others. And when I, when I talk with other strong-willed women more my age, we, we all agree, if we could go back and we could mentor at least informally or talk to more strong-willed women earlier, we could save them a lot of grief that many of us have lived through and figured out what those lessons are, it would be great to hold on and get a hold of them at a much younger age. Now, uh, this one, Cynthia, a challenge for the woman of strength and purpose. 
Right. I think, I believe, this, uh, and my, my hope and my prayer for this book, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a voice. It isn't all about me. And I am hopeful that this opens conversations across the country and around the world with strong-willed women who maybe have been thinking that they didn't have as much of a place in, in the kingdom of God or in the work for the kingdom of God. I believe that there are strong-willed, godly women out there that, that are going to receive a lot of reassurance and a lot of hope and encouragement to use their strong will. And I would love to see groups of strong-willed women in every church and congregation and Christian organization, because can you imagine how powerful their prayers together would be? And can you imagine if you have something impossible to accomplish and you're a little bit discouraged, but you come to the strong-willed women's group and you say, they, they say it can't be done, and we set you down and we say, oh, listen, sit down. We'll we'll get this done, and we'll help you work through it. I think that the world may be underestimating if strong-willed women get together and their hearts belong to God. We can change the course of the world. We can change the course of culture if, if we are really dedicated and if we galvanize ourselves. Cynthia, what happens when a strong-willed woman hooks up with a strong-willed man? <laughs> good, good things or bad things? Both. Both. I mean, you know, we again we have a we have some conflict. There might be some sparks, but where there is great passion, there is also great conflict. But there, the passion can drive us together if we keep Christ at the center of our marriage, and if that is our priority, then He can use both of us as strong-willed individuals to really do some pretty amazing things. Not because of us, but because who we are in Him. Cynthia, let me go back. To one sentence that you uh, uttered earlier, if you are a great leader, you have a servant's heart. Can you right. expand on that? Well, in my research um, for doing this on strong-willed women, we one of my assertions is that there's a big difference between a strong-willed woman with God and a strong-willed woman without God. And what the world tells you is important to succeed is very different than what the Bible tells you is important to succeed as a leader. So the secular books um, in business all seem to be trying to talk us into um, being strong-willed, and the Christian books seem to be trying to talk us out of it. And yet, as a strong-willed woman and a leader, where the world says, hey, you climb your way to the top, you do what you need to do, and you, you make it your goal to take time for yourself and to be who you are and talk about you, and yet the Bible says, Give God the credit. Give God the glory. Um, we, when we talk about the difference between how we lead and how we minister as when our strong will belongs to God versus how we're in it for ourselves, there's a really big contrast. My guest, Cynthia Ulrich Tobias. Cynthia, how would you summarize our discussion and, and what do you want listeners to uh, walk away with? This is a this is a book that is, you know, you can give without fear. Some people will say, oh, I wouldn't want to give a book about a strong-willed woman to my strong-willed friend because she would be offended. Not this one. This is positive, encouraging, uplifting. If you have a strong-willed woman in your life in any, in any capacity, she's going to love this book. She's going to read it and feel very affirmed, um, but also you know, spoken to by somebody who gets her. And if you need to understand a strong-willed woman, if you need to understand how the mind works, how our minds work, how our strong will can be turned for good, then this is a great primer. And I would recommend it for every strong-willed woman and every man who loves her or works with her. What's next for you? Do you always have something in your pipeline? <laughs> Almost always something. This is my 13th book. Really? And um I, yeah, I probably will go back a little bit to the to the learning styles aspect, or who knows? I, I'm kind of waiting to see which direction God has for me next, because this is the first deeply faith-based book, openly faith-based book that I've done. My other books have been very cross-marketed with a biblical worldview, but not not so, um, you know, deeply faith-based and open about it. And that's why I believe that I was supposed to write this book and get it out there and open the conversation. Talk a little bit more about uh, learning styles. I've, I've heard you mention that a time or two. What, what is, what's that mean? Well, it's how we're pre-wired from, from the moment we're conceived, how we're, our mind is wired to understand and process information. 
primarily information, not just not relationships. That's personality and temperament, but learning styles. Um, as you know, if you're if you're coaching somebody, if you're teaching somebody, it's you can teach the very same thing and and have it understood by one and not by another, and unless we understand how our mind works and and whether you're more visual, whether you're auditory, you need to talk about it, you need to think about it, you need kinesthetic, you need to do something about it. If your mind is wired to automatically break things down in detail and be more analytic versus the mind that is a context, I need to learn it in context, I need to get the big picture, I need to have a group activity instead of individual. Understanding those patterns and those strengths and about yourself and being able to focus on those puts you in any situation, gives you the ability to look around and go, uh-oh, this, I'm going to struggle here, so here's what I need. Here's what I know about myself. Here's what I need to do in order to succeed. Are the salmon running at this time of year? You know, I'm not sure. I've been traveling so much. I've been a little out of touch here in Seattle, but um, I know the Copper River salmon just, just finished, and we sure love our seafood out here. I I was in uh, Seattle, I don't know, a couple of years ago and had a seafood dinner or a salmon dinner right about this time. It's a whole different world of salmon, I'll tell you that. It uh, is, and it's it's wonderful. What's the best uh, part about living in the Seattle area, Cynthia? Uh, you know, I love the weather. Uh, I love the people in Florida and Texas and some of those places, but I just, you know, you can't beat the weather out here. We have mild winters and mild summers and no humidity, like I know you're probably got a lot of humidity right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have we have incredible seafood and incredible uh, incredible opportunities right here in the beautiful Puget Sound with gorgeous mountains. I'm always happy when I fly back into the SeaTac Airport. I think, oh, who would want to live any place but here? Cynthia, many many years ago, in the middle of a midlife crisis, I found myself on Mount Rainier. Oh, wow. Climbing Mount Rainier. Never will forget it. Uh, oh, that's amazing. I think about Mount Rainier every, a little bit every day. Never will forget it. That's and right. What an and experience. People have died there, but it's a majestic mountain. I'm glad you made it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, we were in the middle of a storm. I, I mean, I'll never, I, 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 yeah, I'm glad I got down too. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a once in a lifetime experience. I think it satisfied my, my mountain climbing desires. Well, good for you. That's quite an accomplishment, actually. And when you fly in and look down at Mount Rainier from the air, oh boy, yeah, yeah, yeah that's a that's a big baby. Wonderful to talk to you, Cynthia, and I'm uh, oh, ha- happy you got the book out, and I know it'll be very valuable. Cynthia Ulrich Tobias, and I like that name. Boy, that's got a nice ring to it. Oh, thank you, Pat. So we've had a good time, uh, folks. We will have a wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call Select Quote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10 year, $500,000 policy for under $28 a month. I'm Select Quote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, If SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-509-1667. That's 1-800-509-1667. 1-800-509-1667. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors now available in all states. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. So glad you could join us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In the first half hour, Billy Hallowell was with us uh, talking about his book, The Armageddon Code. And then Cynthia Ulrich Tobias from the Seattle area. Uh, We discussed her book, A Woman of Strength and Purpose. 
Uh, I hope you'll visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And I've got a book out. It's just out. It's called Humility. Uh, Barber Books is the publisher. Uh, So it's in bookstores now. Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books. I hope you have a great week ahead. And uh, above all, a wonderful experience in church tomorrow morning uh, with your family. And then we'll be back next weekend for more. Uh, Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN.